Before I introduce Avner and Rachel, I would like to say that those of you who are interested in partnering with them, um, that you do have an opportunity to share a Shabbat meal with them tomorrow evening. And uh, the tickets are on sale for $20, which covers the cost of the meal. And that the tickets are on sale at the Israel Mandate booth, and transportation will be provided. So if you know, you have an interest in, in really being able to partner with them and their ministry in Israel, please consider uh, dinner with them tomorrow evening. Again, the tickets are on sale at the Israel Mandate booth. And it is my deep pleasure to be able to introduce my friends. Um, they are true forerunners. They were in, uh, here in Kansas City when I got to Kansas City and really helped me coming into the kingdom as a Messianic Jew. And knowing that I would be moving to Israel, they went ahead of me. Their Sheva, where God has them digging out the wells of Abraham in the creative. And, uh, they have been there faithful for uh, seven or eight years now, just uh, listening to the Lord and being obedient in what he has said to do. And it is really an honor and a privilege to have them back here in Kansas City to share with all of us uh, what God has taught them and imparted to them. So, Avner? It's good to be here with you all. We know many of the faces, not all of them. And uh, for us, it's like a roller coaster being back in Kansas City. It's flat, but it's a roller coaster nevertheless. And uh, especially, it's encouraging to us to see uh, how the Lord has been stirring Mike and, and microwaving him about the issue of Israel. Because uh, this is something dear to God's heart. And uh, it's dear now also in a radical way to his. And uh, so that's really special. Uh, it was dear in the Bible 3,000 years, 3,500 years ago also. They say when a man gets lost on the road, he never asks for directions. His wife does, but he doesn't. And uh, the last thing he does is ask for directions. And I sometimes say when you want to know what God feels and thinks, you know, read the Bible. But God puts all these secrets, you know, he hides his ways in the Bible. And a lot of times, as good men, we don't look there uh, until we get lost, you know. And even then sometimes. So this, um, it ain't no new thing, as uh, Andre Crouch used to say. And... Uh, we may not understand totally what it is, but do yourself a favor, if you want to, read the Bible. It's a good place to understand something about Israel. Father, in Yeshua's name, we bless you for this time together. We thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you've gathered us here today. We pray that you would impart your heart, Lord, to us. Father, for the salvation and good of your people because all the good that you will do for Israel is what we want to see we want to see them fully formed as a secret weapon in your hand 
as a polished shaft, an arrow, striking the target and not missing God. We ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. There's a lot we could talk about, and we're going to talk about a little bit. Cicero once said, if I had more time, I would have written you a shorter letter. And uh, we only have uh, something like an hour and 40 minutes to work with together. We're going to talk a little bit about the scriptures together. So if you have a Bible, we'll be using it. I'm going to talk a little bit about Israel today. I'm going to play you a nice rock music song and um, uh, hand out little pieces of gefilte fish at the end. Uh, <laughs> let me quote you something from a fellow named Mark Twain. He wrote this in 1899. Jews constitute but 1% of the human race. Properly, the Jew ought hardly to be heard of. But he is heard of, has always been heard of. His contributions to the world's list of great names in literature, science, art, music, finance, medicine are a way out of proportion to the weakness of his numbers. He has made a marvelous fight in this world with his hands tied behind him. All things are mortal but the Jew. All other forces pass, but he remains what is the secret of his immortality? You know, Mark Twain once said that um, it's not the things he doesn't understand in the Bible, probably referring to the Israel mandate, but it's the things he does understand that bother him, not the things he doesn't understand that bother him. I'll say that again. Uh, Mark Twain said, it's not the things I don't understand in the Bible that bother me, it's the things that I do understand that bother me. And uh, when people begin to get a sense of what God is doing with the Jewish people, it bothers. It bothers because it deals with the issue of choosing. If you want to use a fancy word, the issue of election. And what that means is why did God choose the Jews? There was a guy years ago who said, how odd of God to choose the Jews. And someone added and said, but not so odd as those who choose the Jewish God and hate the Jews. And this, of course, is one of the challenges in the church today. Some anti-Gentile Jewish person said, the reason is the goyim anoyim. <laughs> but that's only when it gets to the point of ignorance leading into arrogance, as Mike was teaching the other day. So, um, Derek Prince once, in one of his last articles, which was called The Root of Anti-Semitism, it came from the Morning Star Journal, said here, the issue of Israel's restoration goes much deeper than theology or intellectual understanding. Ultimately, it is spiritual. The spirit that opposes the reestablishment of Israel is the spirit that opposes the return of Jesus. Though it may wear many disguises, it is the spirit of Satan himself. And what we have basically in the church is a terrible thing. You know, when we look at the movie The Passion, we see how leaders of Israel who were supposed to recognize and embrace the Messiah ended up taking their authority to themselves. And even though Mel may make those leaders look a little bit nastier than they probably were, and the Romans look much nicer than they probably were, at least the leadership, 
Uh, here's an article I just clipped from Denver. A pastor displayed the message, Jews killed the Lord Jesus in front of his church on a busy thoroughfare, February 27, 2004. Loving Way United Pentecostal Church in Denver. He was inspired, Pastor Morse Gordon said, by the intense discussion leading to Wednesday's release of The Passion of Christ. I have been listening to the debate back and forth on talk radio about who really did it. What I did, right or wrong, was to give a citation from the Apostle Paul. At least hopefully it will get people to go back and read the fine print in the Bible. A Jewish woman by the name of Amy Shipp, who lived in Denver, got so saddened and shocked by that out on a church marquee that she went and bought a tarp and a ladder and went over to try to cover the sign. She couldn't do it. It was too hard for her. So she just took off the words, the Jews, from that sign. I'm raising four Jewish little girls, and I would like the community to be, to be a safe place for all religions. So not everybody is responding to the movie The Passion in a passionate, godly way. And that's something to realize, is that God can use that movie to touch many people and bless them. And yet at the same time, those who have evil in their hearts toward the Jews may end up getting released into something through that. So realize that it can have a two-edged purpose and still be used of God. You know, and I was really touched very powerfully by that movie. But there is a little bit of uh, stuff in it that, uh, if he had only asked me, I could have given him an opinion. And... um, Anyway, so uh, I, I got off on a rabbit trail, um, but that's all right. Rabbits aren't kosher. I promise not to eat them. And uh, I wanted to get back to what I was talking about. Um, the Jewish people are an unusual people, and we are a thermometer. God offends the world through us. We're an offensive people in the best sense of the term. When you think of offensive, you can think of football. That doesn't bother you so much, you see. Okay? We are supposed to be forerunners as a nation. As a matter of fact, if you look with me for a second in Psalm 105, I would like to pull out a little mystery. I don't have much revelation about what it means, but what it means is enough that I don't need much revelation. So let's see what it says. Psalm 105. And in this psalm, God talks about the calling of the Jewish people, what it's supposed to be. And it's a little snippet here, he says, talking about the covenant of Abraham in verse 9. And he says in verse 11, To you I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment of your inheritance, when they were very few in number, indeed very few and strangers in it, when they went from one nation to another, from one kingdom to another people, this is the wilderness wanderings, God permitted no one to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sake. And he said, Al Do not touch my messiahs. Do not touch my anointed ones. And do my prophets no harm. What God is saying is the whole Jewish nation is called to be a prophetic nation. The whole Jewish nation has been anointed by God. It's a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. On the way over from Israel, Rachel and I were flying um, 
Our arms were getting tired, and so we sat down, and next to us was a Persian Jew, a Jew who had been born in Israel, but from parents from Iran. And this guy is a prophetic guy. And he started telling us about Christians. <laughs> and he said, I don't like when people say that Christians are a different thing from Jews. They come from the same source as where we come from. And it's a Jewish thing what they're believing. And he, he said all sorts of incredible things that most believers don't have the insight to say. And this guy does not yet know the Lord. So there's this calling on our nation that's very, very heavy. We were created to speak truth to the nations, to serve them, to die for them, to lay down our life for them. And what happened is we ended up getting a little bit prideful. Thank God it's never happened to anyone except the Jews. And then, after we got prideful, some of us were sent out to the Gentiles. And so the Gentiles were very thankful for a few minutes, and then they got prideful. And then they began to say terrible things about us and massacre us because they were so sad that Jesus had been killed by us. No joke, for 2,000 years. And so then what you have is the Jews feeling rejected by Gentiles, at very least, sometimes even in danger of our lives, and so we pull away. And when you're surrounded by enemies, what do you do? You circle the covered wagons. And that's the history of our people for about 1,800 years. Don't get too close to them. They'll hurt you. Scratch a Gentile, find an anti-Semite. And a lot of that's true. So when we try to bring the gospel into the surrounding, we have 1,800 years of persecution and attacks against the Jewish people, often in the name of Jesus. So it is a difficult issue. It's a sensitive issue. But at the same time, we have this calling on the Jewish nation. So for 1,900 years, the church has tried to bring revival by itself. The global bridal paradigm without the Israel mandate is narcissism. Years ago, in Metro Vineyard, or maybe it was Metro Christian, there was a presentation called The Bride. And it was beautiful. I think Dottie Rambo wrote it. And uh, the sum total of that presentation was that if you believe that the scriptures refer to the Jewish people when they say the Jewish people, you're under the influence of Satan. Truly, I'm not exaggerating. So this feeling of arrogance toward the Jewish people is not out there, and it's not such a long way away. It happened here just a few years ago. And I'll give you another message. We Jews have the problems with the same things, with arrogance, with pride. We think sometimes unless you all turn into Jews, then uh, we can't talk to you, or at least you'll be so much nicer if you eat chopped liver. I don't know if that's healthy, healthily true. But in any case, you have this calling on the Jewish people to be an anointed and a prophetic nation. And what happened with us is we did that through the apostles and the first believers who went out to the whole world. That was the beginning. But then something happened, and that is the majority of our people followed false leaders, false shepherds. 
Now, there are many Christians today who are getting romantic about Jewish things who say, let me follow the false shepherds because they look so Jewish. And they say, I'll dress like Fiddler on the Roof and, and I'll do things like that and I will, I will be like a false shepherd because the false shepherds are better Jews than the Messianic Jews. And that's a confusion, it's a romanticism, and it's a deception, and ultimately it puts people under the authority of something which has been given over to the dark side of the force, to quote Luke Skywalker. And that's not what we're called to do. God didn't make the world 99% Gentile in order to turn them all into Jews. He didn't make a mistake. I'm a man. I don't think that God wants everybody in the world to be a man. It would be a Sorry little world, if that were the case. And the same thing is true with Gentiles. God made the world 99% Gentile. He likes Gentiles. So if you're, gent- if you're of Gentile extraction, don't be upset. It's wonderful. It really is. It's really good. And uh, God made Jews to be different from you. And I want to talk about that a little bit uh, today, tomorrow. But... Uh, I do want to talk about that because the issue of why the Jews, what God is doing with the Jews is so important. Turn with me to Genesis 20. Genesis 20 is the first time the word prophet is ever used in the Bible. Genesis 20. Okay, here we go, 20 verse 7. There's a Philistine with a Hebrew name. Maybe he was part of the Jewish Roots Movement, I don't know. But in any case, he was a Greek with the name Exalted King, or My Father is King, Avimelech. And in verse 6, God says to him in a dream, I know you did this, you stole Abraham's wife in the integrity of your heart. God is so gracious, how he can say that. Anyway, For I also withheld you from sinning against me, therefore I didn't let you touch her. Now therefore restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. The first reference to prophet in the Bible is the Jewish people. Mahesh Chavda has a wife, and her name is Bonnie. And she has a lovely term. She says, the daughter of a lion is also a lion. Because some women forget that they're lionesses. And the son of a prophet is also a prophet. See, this is the calling on our people to bring a message to the whole world. Now, we have, my wife and I, something very much in our heart. And that is, we believe God on this issue. We believe that the Jewish people are called to a prophetic rule in the world and in the church. Most theology and eschatology has been written by non-Jews. We got a chance to write the Bible, the Jews, but then the theology has been written by other people. And um, they say in Russian that a boil is no problem under the other fellow's armpit. In other words... If it doesn't hurt you, who cares? But somewhere else it says, am I my brother's keeper? 
And so this issue of being honest about the scriptures regarding the eschatology of the Jews is a challenge. And as God is restoring truth to the church again, he's restoring truth about the calling of the Jewish people again. It used to be that people said there is no future for the Jews. That was the easiest eschatology to understand. Just not. That's it. You want to get saved? Join our country club, and that's it. The next theological step basically came through dispensationalism. And I know some people don't like that word. It's too long. And um, so what they said, today some people say, oh, that's dispensationalist. That's a real terrible thing. Well, I'm a dispensationalist, and I'm proud of it, whatever that means. I need more revelation to understand the term. But dispensationalism basically was something that God began to raise up about a hundred years ago. And what they were saying was, when the Bible talks about the Jews and their restoration, he means it. That's the big umbrella. How many people agree with that word? Three. Let's try it again. Let's be Baptist. How many people agree that when the Bible says the Jewish people, it means the Jewish people? You're dispensationalists. Okay, at least in that definition. Just, you know, try to head on for a minute. Personally, I don't like banners. I like those. But I don't like banners usually. But the thing is, the calling on the Jewish people, God began to raise through the dispensational movement. It appeared in other places as well, but in a major way, through America over 120 years ago, through the dispensational movement. And the dispensationalists said something. They said many things. They, they borrowed anti-charismatic teaching from the Reformed Baptists, from the Covenantalists. But they, they began to talk about that there's a heavenly people and an earthly people. And they said, the church is the heavenly people and the Jews stay on earth. Do you know what group took that to a, a real strong extreme at one point? I think it was the Jehovah's Witnesses took it at one point. Mormons used it in a slightly different sense. But there was a separation between the church and the Jews, or between the Gentiles and the Jews, if you like. And that was also part of dispensational theology. Uh, they were trying to figure stuff out, and they didn't necessarily figure it out well. Because there's a mystery here of Jew and Gentile together in the body of Messiah. But God says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, why am I stressing this for a second? Dispensationalists also said, the very last thing that happens in the prophetic calendar is that the Jews get taken out of the world, or the church gets taken out of the world, and the Jews get saved just the very second before Jesus returns. Kind of like 4.30, Saturday afternoon, you're at the community swimming pool, and a whistle blows. Everybody out of the pool. And so kind of that view, which I have held before, I don't hold it now, is that Jewish salvation is the very last, last, last thing that happens before the Lord returns. Now, there are believers who believe that, there are believers who don't believe that, but what you need to do is you need to realize that there are different views on this point, you need to look in the scriptures to see what it says. Because there's a lot there and it's not very clear. And so, when in doubt, search it out. The Bible says it's God's pleasure to conceal a matter. 
and King's pleasure to search it out. So that's what our calling is. Okay, so um, this page is ripped. It's First Kings 12. Very interesting. First Kings 12 is where the nation of Israel is ripped in two. And my page is ripped right here. Well, that's interesting because that's Amos 9-11, isn't it? And that's the restoration of David's rule over the entire nation of Israel, isn't it? Um, some of you might be interested in uh, an article on that. We have a website called davidstent.org. And uh, you can get a 26-page article called A Perspective on the Day Restoration of David's Tabernacle Movement. You know, Jews, they say two Jews, three opinions. And um, so you can, you can download that article. I have a copy of it here that you can't steal, but you can look at it later. And if you want to download that article, it's on the website um, dealing with uh, what that term means in the Hebrew Bible and what it means in Amos 9-11 and what it means today. Okay, <clears throat> well, I would like to put on right now a slideshow for a few minutes. Um, so uh, I'm getting a vision of uh, a woman with the name M, Mandy. Ma- Mandy, there you go. It's ready. Let's turn to slide number eight and see what we can do. If we can turn off the lights in this room, uh, that's a possibility. I don't know if we can. Okay, that's not number eight, but it's very nice. That's number seven, maybe. That's number seven. That's number seven. One more forward. Oh, okay, one more after that. Oh, we're going backwards, maybe. I don't know. There's a picture of a little kid with a sweater. That's number eight. Here we go. Next one. And there was dark. There we go. Now, Israel is a country with a big history, and we're not going to go into it right now. But uh, this little kid has a little T-shirt on, and it says in Yiddish, Yingale, which means little boy. And we say in Yiddish, Kleine Kinder, Kleine Zoris, Große Kinder, Große Zoris. Little kids, little problems. Big kids, big problems. When Israel started as a nation... People said, this is wonderful, the Jews are coming back, everything's going to be wonderful. And then Israel grows up, and we begin to have problems. As a matter of fact, we're the most talked about nation on the face of the earth in the world media today. Let's look at the next uh, slide. Notice this is the Western Wall. And I know on the Elijah list that they said it was totally broken down, but this is actually a faked photo. And um, the wall didn't collapse. There was a little building on the Temple Mount that collapsed, but the wall didn't collapse. So don't believe everything you read. Uh, But anyway, recently in Israel, we're torn up as a nation about the issue of dividing the land. Maybe if we give it all back, then they'll let us live there. Uh, And so this was an election ad a year ago about the redivision of Jerusalem, saying if labor gets in, that would be Barak, they're going to redivide Jerusalem. So now Sharon gets in, and he's talking about redividing Jerusalem. Okay, interesting life. Next slide. So that's what it says here. Slowly, slowly, they're dividing Jerusalem. And these pictures of uh, 
what would happen if this area gets um, divided? I have an article from February 25th, which is recently, that the head of the Israeli FBI, the Shabak, says that basically the Palestine security organizations are upgrading explosives to include chemical agents and also investing in artillery that can be launched over the fence and hit Tel Aviv. Years ago, we all talked about so we said we're never going to give back land because these things are going to happen. Today, it's being discussed. And uh, everyone feels that the, everything has turned crazy and upside down. Next picture. This is an article of an Orthodox Jew saying, Bush, you're a believer. The Bible says, don't, um, don't divide the land. There's a little part there where it says uh, the State Department today in the States would not allow Jesus to be considered anything else than a West Bank settler. He speaks Hebrew, lives in Bethlehem, eats kosher food, and that's occupied territories. And uh, so he says, Bush, you have a choice as a believer in the Bible, because the Bible says don't divide the land of Israel. Are you going to choose Colin Powell, or are you going to choose the prophets? Very interesting article. Next slide. This is just interesting. The taste of life in Israel. This is right near our supermarket that we go to. And these are concrete barriers. It's for the big center. And uh, somebody wrote on one of them, only Messiah can help us now. That's the one in the middle right now with the crown for the king, king, son of David. Next one. Yeah, with next one. The whole Oslo process, which was called the Trojan horse even by the Palestinians, uh, is like a knife in our back, and here's a picture uh, right after Oslo kicked in of a guy getting stabbed with a knife literally in his back going into the hospital. Uh, next shot. I remember watching these, the terrorists returning. I'm very happy to come back, and the world said, now it'll be peace in our day. And as you know, within a short amount of time, uh, we had uh, huge... Uh, terrorist activities going on all over the place. You know, we hear about one or two things maybe every day. There's about 30 to 50 which are getting stopped every day that don't happen. And uh, next one. Along with the issue of um, terrorism comes Israeli youth. How does Israeli youth respond to terrorism? Well, either we get blown up or we go into the army and we fight against terrorism. So 18-year-old kids in Israel are going into the army, and here's a group called Cherries. This is the Cherry Brigade. They uh, go in and basically find um, terrorists and arrest them, and if they don't want to get arrested, uh, they neutralize them. So an 18-year-old kid in Israel is dealing with realities that uh, most of us have not had to deal with. My son Daniel has learned how to do RPG, which is the guy on the bottom there. That's not my son, but my son learned how to, just recently got certified as an RPG user. I said, okay, now take it and go downtown to Jerusalem. Any illegally parked cars, take them out. Next one. Now, this is also how people responded to terrorism years ago. Uh, you may recognize the man's face, but uh, this was a different type of, uh, that was state terrorism, uh, British terrorism. Next, uh, yeah, that's Daniel. Some of you remember him. That's at his swearing-in ceremony recently. And again, like Nehemiah, the same thing of building on one hand and yet having your sword in your hand at the same time. Next one. 
whoever's going to put on that song, this is a good time to begin to move over and get ready to put on that song. Uh, I'll tell you this brief story. My uh, oldest son Daniel's in the army, and uh, he has shared. As a matter of fact, what happened is in their unit, each soldier, uh, groups of two, had to tell each other, uh, "This is who I am. This is you know what I come from. This is what my parents do." And then the other soldier had to stand up. So Daniel and this other soldier shared, and so this other <laughs> stood up and shared about Daniel being a believer in Jesus and all these things. And uh, what did he call them? Yehudi Mamshichim? <laughs> he called them, instead of Yehudi Meshichim, which means Messianic Jews, he said Yehudi Mamshichim, continuing Jews. He didn't get the, it sounds close in Hebrew. So anyway, word got out around there and some kid didn't like it and went and told the rabbi of the base, who's the guy on the left with the big black beard. So Daniel's doing rifle practice and he gets a call, you have to go and speak to the rabbi. And comes in the rabbi, sits him down, very sweet, very nice. And uh, says, so I hear really good things about you and all you're doing. But I hear you're part of a cult. And Daniel says, oh, no, Rabbi, it's a very old thing. It's really a long time ago. He said, well, tell me about it. So Daniel explains the gospel to him. And the rabbi kind of, you know, puts some pressure on him not to talk about it. And um, so Daniel gets back to his tent afterwards. And they say, what the rabbi want to talk to you about? Well, he told them. And they said, that's ridiculous. How can the rabbi do it? Anyway, so a lot of kids come now to Daniel saying, tell me, what is this stuff? And Daniel brings the messianic music that he played drums on. Uh, it's our CD out called Ancient Gates. And uh, they listen to it, and they're walking around singing messianic music, some of these kids. And my son said, you know, this rabbi doesn't realize how he has been used by God in this situation. So that was a swearing-in ceremony just recently, a couple months ago, that Daniel went through. Now, I'm going to play you a song. This song is by a very famous Messianic Jew named Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan came to faith. Yeah, 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 it's true. He's Jewish, and he came to faith. He's not doing so well. You need to pray for him. But uh, he has had a very clear testimony at certain times past, without question. And I know people who know him personally. So do pray for him, because I believe God is going to restore him. But uh, as he was struggling with the Israel mandate, Bob Dylan saw in the Bible that the Jewish people are being restored to their land, and not everyone's happy with that. So he wrote a song called Neighborhood Bully, which is about Israel. And um, ready on the Tamis? Okay, you can turn on the music right now. Oh, I love it when it comes together.
Khan. You know, the prophets, some Jewish guy who's not yet a believer, but a prophetic man named Paul Simon, he said the words of the prophets are written on the subway cars and tenement halls. And uh, sometimes believers can do a lot if they can get out of the four walls of a church building. Amen? Well, so that's a messianic uh, rendering of some of this teaching on what's going on with Israel today. Um, there's so much that, that we could say and talk about. Um, I want to focus on some scriptures now. We'll hold off on the PowerPoint for a while. We'll come back to number 38 a little bit later. And thank you for that music, Mr. Music Man. Um, let's turn to um, Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23. I'm going to basically be showing you five or six scriptures very briefly. And what I'm going to be telling you is that every main eschatological event written in the Bible is connected to the Jewish people. Interesting. Now, there are many not written in the Bible, right? But the ones which are are connected to the Jewish people. First of all, the second coming. That's a pretty heavy one. So let's look at Matthew 23, 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her, chi her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. This could be the temple, it could be the city, it could be the national home, it could be all three. For I say to you, and Yeshua is now speaking to the leadership of Israel, you shall see me no more till you say, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's saying, I'm not going to return until the Jewish people as a whole and their leaders specifically ask him to come back. <laughs> we have a friend who's a son of Holocaust survivors, and he's a veterinarian. He travels around Israel sticking his hand up the backside of cows. It's a job, you know. And <laughs> he's got a sense of humor. He plays rock guitar also. And um, he, he uh, every time he goes to one of these little moshavim or kibbutzim, he gets out there. The first thing he does when he gets out of his car is he says, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He says, I don't know if anyone else can say it here on this kibbutz, so I'm going to say it. So every time he goes to, to commune with the bovines, he also throws in a messianic blessing. And it says that one day, all of Israel is going to be calling out that way. What's it going to get to, call the Jew, to get the Jewish people to call? What's going to have to happen to get the Jewish people to call that way? What's it going to do to, what would it take to, for America to call out that way? So Jews are just like everybody else, only more so. So let that help you in your prayer. So the second coming is connected to uh, uh, the Jewish people repenting. Let's look at Acts chapter 3. This is a, a, a triple whammy. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. 
Repent, therefore, and turn. That's the word, be converted. It's not such a good word to use for Jewish people because we think it means you're telling us you want us to change our hair color to blonde and to eat ham uh, on mayonnaise on white Wonder Bread. And that's not what being converted means, but we think, you know, once you're a Jew, now you eat white bread. And that's not what it means. It means turning away from sin. But we sometimes think, as Christians, it means turning away from being a Jew. God doesn't take away our Jewishness. He takes away our sin. And then we often help him to take it away again. So it says here in verse 19, Repent therefore and turn, that your sins may be blotted out. And so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now, if you notice here, we have here the Sheridan, blue tape on the ground. Now, for those of you who understand what I'm about to say, like Barbara over there, this is known as times of refreshing tape. Okay? There's certain congregations where times of refreshing means standing on the line and getting pushed over or without getting pushed. And that's good. And laughing is good. I have a friend, Jill Austin, says, what would you rather do, laugh or throw up in a paper bag? <laughs> so it's good. And God is doing a measure of refreshing. But that's not all there is. Okay? There's a times of refreshing, it says, will, only, will come when the Jewish people embrace Yeshua. Only then. And that he may send Yeshua the Messiah who was preached to you. When the Jewish people repent, the Messiah of Israel comes back whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things. That's another one. Return of the Lord, times of refreshing, a second R, and then the restoration of all things. That's connected to the Jewish people, which God spoke by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So those are three pretty heavy things. The return of the Lord, the times of refreshing, and the restoration of all things are connected to the Jewish people. So it's a significant thing, and this is why... God uh, wants his body to be tunneled into this message because these are precious things to him and he wants the nations of the world to enter into that. One other thing, Isaiah 27. Okay. Isaiah 27. Well, that's a good thing. How about Isaiah 25? You see, I have a Hebrew Bible, so uh, I have to translate it before I... Uh, um. <laughs> Where is it? Where is it? Somewhere around here. You know what Paul Cain says? Some people know the right chapter. He's happy if he gets it a book. One uh, Here it was. It was 27, just like I said. Okay, Isaiah 27, uh, verse uh, 6. In days to come, he shall cause... Jacob to take root, and Israel shall blossom and bud, and fill the face of the world with fruit. Now, this is a prophecy about Jaffa oranges. You think? Probably it's a spiritual fruit. So you have this whole issue here of, uh, of this. Now, I want to touch two other things before we move on to the issue of the army, and that's Romans 11, verse 12 and 15. You may know this verse, Romans 11 verse 12, it says that whatever you guys have you don't have it in fullness yet 
I know there's a group called the Full Gospel Businessmen, but we don't have the fullness of the Full Gospel Businessmen yet. It says here in verse 12 of Romans 11, If the Jewish people's fall has meant riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more will the Jewish people's fullness bring? In other words, bad things happen to them, so good things happen to you. So you'd say, well, that's a good deal. Let's leave it that way. And he says, no, no. When good things happen to them, even better things are going to happen to you. That's motivation. How many want even better things? Right. So, see, even if you don't like Jews, you should pray for them. Okay? Then in verse 15, it says, If they're being cast away... Now, that's a lousy translation. This is new uh, King James here. We want, we, if their rejection... And we know from verse 1 and 2, God has not cast away his people. God has not rejected his people. So if the Jewish people's rejection of Yeshua, and let's continue with that verse, verse 15, if their rejection has led to the reconciling of the world, that means all the nations can potentially come to faith now, what will the Jewish people's acceptance of Yeshua be? but life from the dead. Now, whatever that term means, it's exciting. Life from the dead is exciting. It could mean the resurrection of the dead. It could mean world revival. It could mean 50-50. But whatever it is, I would like to be there very much. See, in that sense, I don't think the pre-trib position is as exciting as the post-trib position. I don't know if either one is biblical, but we'll stick around, we'll find out, and then we'll know. You know, some things are not clear. I would say the trib is not as clear as the Israel mandate, but what do I know? Um, So what we have here is a challenge that God wants to bring a stirring to the world through the Jewish people. Now, I want to challenge you with one scripture about that before we begin to talk extemporaneously. (laughs) Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37. Now, you know the old Dembones vision, right? Where the prophet gets kind of taken supersonically to somewhere in the middle of nowhere, and he begins to see a valley full of dead bones, and then all of a sudden these bones start clicking and clacking and moving, and all of a sudden you have a a valley full of skeletons, and then you get this kind of sponge and gooey veins and arteries growing out of the bones and then skin, olive-colored skin starts kind of going around and then you have a valley full of dead Jews. Okay? And Ezekiel's looking at this and saying, this, this is one of the strangest days I have ever had. And then God says, so tell me, Zeke, what does this mean? You know, prophets say, you're asking me. Did I give you the vision? You know? And so, in verse 9, God says, Prophesy to the Ruach, to the breath, to the wind, son of man, and say to the Ruach, this is what the Lord God says, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain. So there's a tragedy here. Breathe on these slain, so that they may live. Verse 11, And he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. And they say, our bones are dry, our hope is lost. That word is in the Jewish national anthem. 
Our hope is not totally lost based on this passage because of God's promise. And we ourselves are cut off. And God says, no, it's not true. I'm going to return you to your land. I'm going to bring you back. And then I'm going to put my spirit in you and you're going to know that I'm the Lord. But back to verse 10. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And breath came into them and they lived. And they stood upon their feet. And it says, Chel gadol me'od me'od. Which in Hebrew means an army. Big. Much, much. A huge army. Now who is this huge army? Californians? Vermonters? It's Jews. These are Jews. It's a Jewish army. Now, how do we fit this Jewish army into our view of the end times? Whenever Queen Elizabeth goes anywhere, there's the honor brigade. They stand there like this. They salute. Welcome King Jesus. Maybe that's what the Jews are going to do. We're going to get saved, and then Yeshua comes back, and we'll stand and say, Weapons ready for inspection, sir. Maybe not. Now, I'm not saying that this is, means anything. But you should go home and not sleep all night thinking about this passage. Because what does it mean and where does it fit in with our eschatology? See, if the Jews get saved the very last thing, this is a ceremonial army. You hear what I'm saying? Maybe they get saved two minutes before. You know, and then they do this kind of military maneuvers and it looks real good. Maybe that will fulfill the passage. I feel that this indicates there will be a last day's role for a reborn Jewish nation prior to the time of the return of the Messiah. Now, how does it all fit together? Don't ask me. But it's here. So we have to deal with it. So this challenge of this last day's Jewish army this prophetic army, this anointed army, this has seized our heart. And this army, I don't know, do you remember the name Kevin Prosh? Does that mean anything to you? Who ever heard of an army who would conquer the world by weeping and mourning and brokenness? Remember that line? It was way back there in early vineyard. Uh, E-V, it's kind of like B-C. B-I-M. <laughs> anyway, this challenge of an army, a prophetic army, have you ever noticed that when one of the great prophets, I believe it was um, Elisha, he called for a musical minstrel so that he could kind of get himself in the mood to prophesy? And then he prophesied to a king and said, you're dead meat. <laughs> but he had musical backing. <laughs> so I believe that there's a marriage. Marriage <laughs> is what brings us together. And uh, this is the week of marriage, so it's all right <laughs> to say it. Uh, um, I believe that what God did with the Woodstock Nation, Max Yasker's farm, was a prototype of what he's going to do again. I'm not the only crazy person who says that. There are other crazy people who say that too. And uh, that is that through music, 
a, na- a whole culture was touched, a whole generation. And they rose up and said, we're going to change the world. We're going to exchange alcoholism and adultery for marijuana and fornication. <laughs> right? I'm quoting Francis Schaeffer, by the way, if you think I'm being crass. And he would do it with much more gentility, but he said the same thing. And that is that there was a hope, there was a promise, and it got waylaid into all sorts of different things. New age, into drugs, into sexual immorality, and in the end, it petered out. And uh, that's when Alice Cooper came on the scene. And so, God is going to do something like that again. And He's going to do something like that mostly with younger people because they have less to lose. The older you get, the more you have to lose, the less you're willing to forsake. Now, Caleb was willing to forsake, and he was not a Jungach, he was not a spring chicken, as we say, but uh, there's going to be a challenge. So the Lord began to give us this vision of working in Israel with a youth army. And uh, even in Israel today, that's still a bit of a radical concept. I mean, we have armies of cherries and bananas and things like that, but a prophetic army is still a little bit, not, people are not 100% sure about that. Um, I would like to call up Rachel to, uh, to switch gears a little bit. And, uh, and now we're going to talk more about that army in a few minutes. And I'm also going to call up Nancy Blanco because Nancy comes from here. She is there. There is here. And she is interceding and very much has a finger on the pulse of what's going on. And we love her. And you need to hear from her too a little bit. So... Well, like Avner said, it's very exciting to be here. We lived here in the 90s. A lot of you guys out there have already already know who we are. And we used to have a Friday night prayer meeting at Mike Bickle's church. Uh, we st- actually started it in 1993. And every Friday night we would pray for Israel. And those were really actually the highlight of my week because um, there was something really wonderful and beautiful that went on there. And that's where we, I think, really began to learn how to intercede for the Jewish people. And, uh, uh, and now we're here and we're seeing this. I personally haven't been in the States for two and a half years. I was here one month before 9-11. So it's pretty intense to come here and to come to this and as Avner said, it's an emotional roller coaster for, for us because we sowed for so many weeks and months and years in the 90s into prayer in Mike's church when most people didn't get it, didn't see that it was important, and now it's being trumpeted, and I believe it will be trumpeted much more in the future. And I'm, we're very, very thankful for Mike Bickle and what he's doing, and uh, may his tribe increase. I believe it will. So um, that's what I just want to say. And um, as Avner said, the Lord has called us back. Uh, in 1990, we got a word from John Paul Jackson, uh, three words. We were sitting in John Wimber's office, and he said, Rachel, I see you guys doing music, writing, and having a, a messianic community in Israel. And... When we went back to Israel in 1997, 
I'll just back up a second. In 1994, Jim Gall, Barbara's over there, spoke very clearly that we were to go to Beersheba. We had already lived in Israel for a number of years, both in Jerusalem and in Tel Aviv. We didn't want to go to Beersheba. It's far away from everything. So we just stored that word away in our hearts. We didn't um, tell that to anybody. And in the middle of the 90s, the Lord took us to Russia for a year and a half, where Avner was a Messianic rabbi, which was extremely interesting and gave us a real heart for Russian-speaking Jews, of whom there are now many of those in Israel. So God put that little microchip into us for Russian-speaking Jews. And then uh, in 1997, the Lord, as we left Russia, God dramatically confirmed that word to go to Beersheba many times. And I think the reason is fully known to God, but obviously God began his dealings with the Jewish people in that area of Israel. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were there, and God made covenants with the Jewish people in that area. So I believe that it's important to God's heart because of his own reputation, that he will see to his dealings with the Jewish people also in that part of Israel. How many of you have been in Israel? How many of you have been in Beersheba? Less. I think less. Because it's not, it's kind of off the beaten track. And some people say, Beersheba, why Beersheba? It's like, what good thing can come out of Nazareth? And yet, I think that God wants to do something, and specifically in that part of the country, because of his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we've been there for seven years. We went back in 1997. God began to visit us. Uh, about a year or so after we got back, the Lord began to visit me with songs, which was what John Paul said. Avner had written a book called Israel, the Key to World Revival, our last year in Kansas City. The Lord has used that book. We'd like to see the Lord use that book even more. Uh, Avner wrote a booklet on Islam after 9-11, which has been effective. We have a website. So those words that John Paul gave us about music, writing, uh, have been very accurate, as well as our calling to Beersheba, extremely accurate. Um, and now we are waiting uh, for the third part. And actually, we've already walked into it. Uh, we have uh, often housefuls of people. We've been able to provide a landing strip, in some cases, for prof- some prophetic activity. The Lord has sent intercessory teams to our area from all over the world, we had a team connected with Morningstar. Excellent. The Lord has specifically told intercessory teams to go to Beersheba to do something, and we've been able to just make a place for that. We had a team that came from Germany, a very prophetic church in Germany. Um, the Lord told them to go to Beersheba. He said, I want you to do this only for an audience of one. And about 25 of their people came. They're extremely gifted musicians and prophetic musicians, something like Kansas City, and the Lord told them to come to Beersheba on Passover last year, and they had prepared a concert. They set up their sound system by the well. Have you guys, those of you who have been to Beersheba, did you go to the well? A few people. Anyway, the well of Abraham, and they set up their sound system, and they worshiped the Lord for about four hours with only nobody else there we were invited to come and then one of the young ladies they had prepared a dance and they had written a song for the occasion in german which was israel your bridegroom is coming israel your bridegroom is coming and this woman had on a wedding dress she covered it with a dark um 
ugly kind of sackcloth-like thing. And as they sang, Israel, your bridegroom is coming, she came out and pulled off the sackcloth. And she had a wedding dress on. And she had a very long banner with a star, uh, the Star of David, white and blue banner. And the Lord's presence came powerfully. And the pastor of that church found a pickaxe and struck the ground hundreds of times with a pickaxe. And so God is setting up all by himself these prophetic acts by groups that don't even know each other. And I believe that he's watching that. And so we've just been able to be there and make a, make a place for those kinds of things to happen. We feel like we're in a turning point right now. Um, we lived in one house for six years. We've just moved to another house, which is much more suitable for what we need. We would like you to pray. We, we believe we're supposed to buy that house. That's up to the Lord. Um, but we also would like, we, I, we're beginning to have a sense of worshipers coming over to do something like internships. So we're even asking for another house. And one thing about Israel is Jerusalem and Tel Aviv are pressure cookers in the spirit. Jerusalem has a strong religious spirit. It has a lot of conflict, as you well know. Tel Aviv is an extremely worldly, sensual city. Beersheba, there's an open heaven over Beersheba. Jim Gall was in our house. He said, this part of Israel has an open heaven. And so we think that the Lord wants to do something there which involves worshipers. We were hosting worship and intercession in our home for a number of months, and then many things happened last fall. We had to stop. We're starting it again. But we have talked to some of the a few people at IHOP, and maybe, maybe the Lord will make a way for there to be people going back and forth. So uh, that's something else to pray about. One thing I want to say as a Gentile, because I know I'm speaking probably mostly to Gentiles, um, what it means to be called to the Jewish people. Uh, the Lord really did call me as a child to the Jewish people. My mom and dad are here. They came just to see me. They live in West Virginia, but they've carried Israel all of their lives. They're, why don't you just raise your hands? And my sister. Um, we, grew, we grew up on what Mike Bickle is teaching, just starting to teach. I grew up on those kinds of teaching from Romans 9 to 11 and Revelation and the prophets. I grew up on that stuff. That's my life. And so my parents really sowed that into me. And the Lord called me to the Jewish people as a child. And I'd just like to speak to those of you who are Gentiles that the Bible talks about becoming as a Jew to the Jews. If you want to touch Jewish people's hearts, study them. Learn about their history. Learn what makes them, what moves them. And um, love them. Be authentically who you are. Don't be a wannabe Jew. Okay? Usually that doesn't go over real well with Jewish people. You need to be who you are. Be the best you can be in God. And love them with all of your heart. And be prepared to lay down your life for them. That's what is going to touch them faster than anything else. And also... um, Eitan touched on this the other day, but there's a verse in the book of Joel, chapter 1, uh, verse 8. And this specifically is for the intercessors who are interceding for Israel. Um, I can do it by heart. Wail, wail like a virgin clothed in sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. Spend the night in sadness and cry out to our God. 
That's Romans, that's Joel 1.8 and some of the following verses. That is the kind of intercession that is required to birth the Jewish people. It's the kind that feels the pain of losing the bridegroom of your youth. It's a deep pain. And that's what Jeremiah felt. And that's the kind of intercession God's looking for, for us to get on our faces and wail and wait for the Jewish people. And let God tenderize your heart so that when you meet someone Jewish, you say, you are related to my Messiah. I honor you. I honor you. And you people gave us everything we know about truth and righteousness. You taught us the difference between darkness and light. You have given us the revelation of God. We honor you. That's how you can reach Jewish people. And that's what God wants from those of us who are Gentiles. And... Um, I just want to say that um, we live, as I said, in Beersheba. We have four sons. We only, uh, we, we don't, in Jerusalem, you can speak English forever and be just fine. And there's other parts of Israel, too. But we live in a place where you have to speak Hebrew. And we do. And our kids now are, are probably, some of them are better in Hebrew than they are in English. Our older boys are still probably better in English, but our two youngers are better in Hebrew than English. So we live completely surrounded by Israelis. And God has given us great favor in the community. We live right on the edge of Beersheba. Many people know we're believers. And uh, we have, the other day we had four, about a month ago, we had four Israeli couples in our home for dinner. We're part of a little dining club that kind of goes from home to home every month. So we've gotten to meet a lot of people, um, my children's friends, parents, teachers, the doctor, the mayor, Everyone and people know who we are. Basically, they know that we're believers and we have a lot of favor right now. And um, so we had these four Israeli couples over at our house for dinner. I told the story the other day, so pardon me, those of you who have already heard it. But um, the Lord's presence was just there. We had a every month it's a different ethnic group. And uh, where we live, there's a lot of very educated people. There's doctors, professors. We're living in a, a nice community very close to ancient Beersheba. And anyway, these four Israeli couples were in our house and um, we were talking about music and a couple of them were musicians. So after the meal, they said, uh, we, we want to hear your music. We had told them we had a CD. So Avner put on our Hebrew CD and uh, they heard the first song and it really touched them. It's basically a cry to the Lord for the situation that Israel is in based on scripture. And then they said, let's hear another song. Let's hear another song. And then by the time they heard four or I think maybe five songs. And all the songs are intercessory prayers for Israel based on the scripture done in a very Jewish-Israeli musical style. So at the end of after that, that one of the ladies said, Rachel, because I told them that I had written most of the songs. They said, Rachel, are you, were you raised Orthodox Jewish? And I, I said, so Avner said, no, tell them who you are. And uh, I said, no, I'm a Gentile who loves Israel with all my heart. And I've loved Israel all my life. And I said, there are millions of more people like me. And I said, I'm just one, but I represent millions of Gentiles who love Israel. And this lady looked at me. They were all sitting there very quietly. She said, maybe it's people like you who will save us from ourselves. So you need to know that your prayers are making a difference In Israel, Israelis are becoming increasingly aware that their true and only friends are believers. And it's in the media. It's talked about on the street. As the nations fall away 
from supporting Israel one by one. The church, and I use that term to mean the body of Messiah that has not abandoned Israel, is going to become Israel's very best friend. And God is going to do the thing that Mike Bickle was talking about from Ephesians. He's going to knit us into an incredible, incredible entity that we haven't even seen it yet, but we're beginning to see it. And this woman also said, um, maybe because of people like you, we will continue to have a state and a country. Maybe you will see to it that we survive as a people. And this woman's not a believer, but that was a very strong prophetic word from a prophetic people who are not yet fully in the kingdom. So know that what's happening here is affecting things over there, and don't give up. Don't go weary with well-doing. So that's what I would like to share with you. So we want to uh, kind of focus... On uh, one more thing, and in a minute or two, I'm going to ask Nancy uh, to come up and share a little bit with us. I noticed two or three people that I just wanted to to acknowledge, although I'd like to acknowledge all of you too, and that is uh, Stevie and Jeannie Gelbart. Stevie and Jeannie are Jewish believers, uh, came to faith in Israel about 30-something years ago. They were part of the original Agape Fellowship here that I mentioned uh, at the beginning of last week that had a calling to two nations. One was Russia, one was Israel. And how Bob Jones was told by the Lord that that anointing after that fellowship fell apart would be transferred to another group, uh, which basically is related to Mike Bickle. And uh, part of the reason the Israel mandate is coming up here now has to do with that original group that they were a part of too. And uh, so I just want to honor them for that. And uh, I see a, a little munchkin with long hair behind the camera, and his name is Michael Terrell. He's a dear brother and friend, and uh, I just like him, so I wanted to mention him. Um, what goes around comes around as an expression. Uh, the Jewish people are not only going to get saved as a nation, they're going to get restored physically to their land. That's happening right now. So restoration doesn't just involve getting your spirit saved. It involves getting your body saved. And God has a sense of humor. He brings his people back to a land, and he says, it's yours, nobody else's. And the world says, says who? And that's where we are in history. Okay? The State Department says, says who? That's your State Department. You need to pray for them. Uh, Europe says, says who? Huh? But it's the same concept, basically, you know. And um, the Arabs say other things, um, and I'm not going to say, but basically this is a sensation. And uh, this is happening in the world, and everybody, especially believers who know the Scriptures, need to be praying for their own countries and for Israel. So as God restores the Jewish people back to their land, he told us to go back to the very well from which Abraham came. Abraham, we live about less than a mile away from where Isaac and Jacob grew up. All this happened, you know, a stone's throw, as we say, away from our house. And um, there's a sense of going back, you know, not only redigging the wells in Alaska, which probably have oil, but the wells in Israel, which go back to Abraham. 
because God is not finished with those promises there. Abraham never actually physically inherited all the promises that he was given. He needs to get resurrected for that to happen. David, King David, never received all the promises that he had been given, and Jesus isn't going to steal them from him. Oh, what is he saying? Well, I think that King David is going to inherit what he was promised physically on earth. And that includes having the United Nations <coughs> move its headquarters to Jerusalem. But it will have a, a Jewish president, at least one. Maybe David will be the vice president, I don't know. But this restoration of David is not just worship and music and intercession. It is government. That's the basic thing. And it's government out of a Jewish state. So the Zionists are trying to take over the world. At least the Zionist named Yeshua is trying to do that. So that's a surprise for some of us. Have you ever thought of what you're going to think when you look at your Lord and you realize he's got a Jewish nose? Then you're going to say, I'm sorry about all the jokes I made. Okay? You know? Okay. So uh, as God brings us back to the land as a nation and as he's brought us back to that area of Beersheba, he spoke to us about three things. One involves this raising up of the youth army, which involves creative arts, because we believe that creative artists are prophets. We say in Yiddish, a total crazy man is a half a prophet. And what happens when you have a totally crazy prophetic people? That's the Jewish people. So God is going to use us to touch the world. And we're concerned right now about him using the young generation of Israelis to touch Israel. And so that's very much on our heart. Um, we've seen a lot of uh, prophetic things of great interest here uh, in Metro. Sometimes they call it pastoring the prophetic. Other times they call it slaughtering the prophetic. Other times they call it trying to raise the prophetic from the dead. It all depends on what point you came in in that process. And, um, but we've seen all three. <laughs> and uh, we have a love for the prophetic. And uh, eventually, you know, these things like the School of the Prophets and stuff mentioned in the Bible are going to get reestablished again in the same country with the same people. And that's something very much on our hearts. And um, so that's another thing we're praying for. Recently, uh, Nancy Blanco, and I'm going to use this to transition for her to come up uh, and share, and then we're going to come back and share after her for a few minutes. Where's Nancy? Nancy, this is... That lady doesn't look like Nancy. Where's Nancy? So you have to come. Come, come, come. Don't be embarrassed. Okay. Nan, um, a while ago, Nancy gave us um, a CD, a DVD, and she said, I'd like you to look at this. And uh, I said, you know, truthfully, uh, we had been here back in the 90s, and we had seen a lot of, uh, you know, the Israel mandate is like the fourth point of seven. Now, if you do math, you have three on one side and three on the other. So I used to call the Israel mandate the baloney between two slices of bread because nobody was doing nothing about the Israel mandate for a long time. And, um, and so when people said, you know, there's stirring going on here in Kansas City, uh, I was more like Thomas, right? And I said, that's very nice. May God keep the Tsar and may there be a great blessing. But I will see it when I believe it, or something like that. And um, so I really wasn't sure. 
And uh, so Nancy gave us this uh, DVD to, to watch, and I said, well, I don't really want to watch it. And, uh, but Rachel said, I want to watch it. So I said, ah, okay. So we put this DVD on, and the Lord really hammered us in a beautiful way. It really shook me because I said, what is happening now is what we hoped and prayed would happen but had lost hope that it would ever happen here. And not only that, but God was so kind. He's kind, you know. Uh, we began to get just deeply touched by Todd leading that worship on uh, November 23rd. And God began to stir in us a burning again. And we said, you know something? We're worshiping, we're doing intercession.